What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the School of Hard Knocks podcast. I'm James. I'm here with Josh and Jack, and we have a very special guest today, Anye Adenukwe. He is the CEO and founder of Glow Tanning, which is one of the largest sun spa and tanning franchises in the entire country. Even though it's his first time on the podcast, he's still a very familiar face at the School of Hard Knocks as we've generated just about 20 million views across social media. So, Anya, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. 20 million, something light. Yeah, yeah something <laughs> light. Absolutely. But, you know, before we kind of get into this uh, podcast, you know, you've got an immense business knowledge in mind for a lot of things, everything entrepreneurship. But we kind of want to first take it back and get a little bit of a background on yourself and kind of where you first started before you started to build this massive uh, business empire. Awesome. Um, so I am a Nigerian. I was born in Boston, um, kind of lived everywhere, um, you know, Boston, uh, Jersey, Savannah, Georgia, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and now Dallas, Texas. Um, also, I went to middle school in Nigeria, actually, um, you know, lived in London for a short time. My mom was born in London, my dad in Nigeria, but they both grew up in Nigeria. Um, both my parents are um, are doctors. My mom's a psychologist. My dad's a surgeon. Uh, they really, you know, anybody knows Nigerians uh, very big on education. So, really instilled like just education and um, you know, it's really it. Absolutely. And I kind of wanted to first talk about how what was that experience like, kind of living in a foreign country, and what did that do for your perspective on just the world in general, and and, and being in a different country than now living in the United States. What did that really do for your perspective on things? Yes, I mean, um, you know, one of my biggest things that I talk about all the time is gratitude. So it's just like being grateful for what you have, where you're at, the people in your life, what God's blessed you with. So, you know, just being grateful for what you have um, and also just like, you know, appreciating, you know, the position that you're in and, and everything else. So I think that's like really the biggest thing. Absolutely. And then when you got, uh, you know, back to the States, kind of like, where did you end up? Did you end up kind of going to college and stuff like that? Or uh, So I moved back uh, at 13 and so I moved back at 13, moved back. So when we moved, we lived in Savannah, Georgia. When I moved back, we were still living in Savannah, Georgia. Um, so I went to all boys military high school out there in Savannah called Benedictine Military. And um, so that that's kind of, you know, where I left off and um, how I came back. Absolutely. And uh, kind of like growing up, like uh, in your childhood, I kind of want to say, like, did you always have it kind of in you at an early age uh, that you wanted to pursue this journey? I guess first, like, kind of like, what, what were your parents doing uh, at the time, like for a living? Um, um, yeah, so, so um, you know, my uh, my mom, um, you know, she she's uh, actually has a job where she does um, psychological work. She also is a professor at a university teaching it. And then she also does private practice as well. Um, so she always has had kind of like three, you know, main job and then two side hustles. So she works for the state plus two side hustles. And then my dad, um, surgeon at the hospital, also uh, private practice as well. Um, so that's what they were doing. So then and you also talked about like, you know, in terms of like, has it always been instilled? I mean, the first time I ever got in trouble in school and I got in trouble a lot at school um, was me and my brother um, selling candy bars. So we went to like a, uh, what do you call those schools? It's, it's not a private school, but a charter school. So we went to a charter, a charter school. Um, this is eighth grade, just moved back from Nigeria. And we, at the time, uh, full-size candy bars were three for a dollar at the dollar store. So we went to the, you know, we used to cut grass and make money. My sister went around with like a little survey, customer surveys and collect the money. We'd cut grass for like 20 bucks. This is like nine or 2000. 
yeah, so moved back in, in the year 2000. Um, and, you know, so back then, gas was 90 cents. Uh, you know, cutting somebody's grass cost 20 bucks. So we cut, you know, cut our neighbor's grass, get 20 bucks. We went to the dollar store, bought 60 candy bars, or what tax, probably like, you know, 55 candy bars, something like that. Then we went to school and we'd sell a candy bar for a dollar. And we literally sold out within, you know, one lunch because people were taking their $3 lunch money, buying three candy bars. And by the time we got caught, um, you know, it was almost like it was a, a drugs thing with the, you know, principal and everything else. Got caught with like a hundred candy bars in our book bag and about $500 and got suspended from school. Um, had to list out everybody's name on an envelope that bought candy bars because they confiscated all of our money and, you know, so they were giving it back. And that was like our first like entrepreneurial journey that, and you know, the lawn cutting, the lawn service or whatever. So I've always really kind of been a hustler from, you know, that age on. Yeah. Where would you say that, you know, obviously kind of always saying you've been a hustler. Where has been that like official turning point where you were like, I want to be an entrepreneur, businessman full time. You know, I would say like the three of us could probably go back to a pinpoint in time where we kind of made that decision where it was just like, you know, corporate life isn't going to be for me. Like I can't go and work for somebody else. I have to go my own route and pay my own way. How did that experience kind of shape out in you? And, and where did you see that turning point happen? as well as just like basically starting your business career? Yeah, so I think that for me it's like, I just have, I kind of have a problem with authority if I'm being honest. So I just don't like people telling me what to do. I don't like being forced to be anywhere at a certain time or anything else. So it's like, I just was just like, listen, I'm gonna figure it out. I'd rather, and this is the truth, I'd rather make $40,000 working for myself than make a million dollars working for somebody else. That's just how I feel. So, so like, you know, um, I've never just been very good at like following directions or anything else like that. So, so it just kind of just came natural just in like who I am. Um, I mean, my daughter's the same way. She doesn't like anybody telling her no. She likes to kind of like do her own thing and she's only three. Um, so it's just more like a personality thing than anything else. Um, you know, for my parents, my parents are not entrepreneurs at all. And um, they're just very much go by the book. You know, you go to school, you get your first degree, you go to school, you get your second degree, you go to school, you get your doctorate, you go get a job, you work for 30 years, you put your money in retirement, and you know, you feel good about that. You, you know, you go home, you wake, you go to sleep at this time, you wake up at this time, you go to work. That's just not the life that, you know, I wanted. Um, did I think that I would be, make as much money as I'm making now? Um, absolutely not, if I'm being honest. Um, I just thought like, hey, I can figure it out and I'd rather figure it out working for myself than working for somebody else. I feel like that's a constant cycle that's sold to people is the typical cycle of life is you go to school, you go to college, you get a good job, you save enough money to buy a house, start a family, and then you die. Yeah. That's, so what would you say to someone who's looking to break out of that cycle? Yeah, so, so the thing is that cycle was actually a really good cycle. That's the, that's called the, like the American dream cycle, right? So that cycle is a really good cycle in like the 60s. So we get out of World War II in like 45 or something like that. And, um, and then, you know, they have the GI Bill, which was the number one thing that brought Americans from uh, basically into the middle class. I was the number one middle class builder, um, in particular for, for, you know, for white Americans, if I'm being honest. Um, but the number one thing to bring people into the middle class. So, you know, the GI Bill had free education, all that. So back then you graduate from college and you get a job, you're in the middle class. On top of that, we also had, 
you know, a lot of uh, union jobs and all that, and the, the union jobs and stuff like that didn't actually didn't discriminate. So that's how, you know, um, majority of black people got into the middle class. That's when you know people were you know moving to Detroit, and because majority of black people lived in the South, and then they they fled out to go to get factory jobs in Kansas City and Detroit and stuff like that, and that's what brought them to the middle class. Well, now those incomes uh, did not rise with inflation and with the cost of living and the expense. So back then a house cost, you know, $75,000, a nice house cost $75,000 and somebody was making, you know, $40,000. Now somebody is making $60,000 and, and the same house costs $600,000. So you can see that the disparity is, is a lot greater. So the thing is that if you graduate with a college degree, I think the average American makes $48,000. Um, so if you graduate a college degree, let's just say that you make slightly more than that um, with 60000 60000 really is not getting you um, far these days, right? So, so that dream no longer is a reality. That dream was a reality before. It's no longer, re no longer reality today. Um, for Everybody can't be an entrepreneur. For us to have entrepreneurs, we have to have workers, right? Some people aren't built to take the risk, and that's fine. We, we love those people, right? Because those people, without without our staff and without the support and the help or whatever, we none of us can have a good business. And I hate when I see entrepreneurs say, "Oh, you know, I'm self-made." There's no such thing as self-made. So, you know, because your dad didn't give you 100 million dollars, okay, that doesn't mean you're self-made. There's you know mentors. There's people. There's also like, you know, for me, in my business, there's people who had major impacts in my business that I remember till today and they probably don't even think about it. Like I have one Tyler Baumgartner who worked for me when I had one location was my GM all the way till I had four locations. You know, she was, she had a major impact in the sense of like, you know, she really cared and, 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 and nurtured the business as if it was hers and we were a team and she really helped me scale to where, to where I was. And when she left, um, was able to bring somebody else in, in, in the image of her to help scale even further. Right, so so it's really one of those things where your team is vital, and we need those people that aren't that don't want to take the risk, and are willing to work as if it's theirs, and you have to be able to reward them, you know, in kind, um, to to get to get really good workers. Right now, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, which is great. The question is, are they willing to take the risk? Are they willing to take the the, the amount of work? Are they willing to take the lack of pay? Because a lot of times people just see, you know, social media is the devil and gives a false state, you know depiction of what being an entrepreneur actually means because you know everybody and their mom's on there everybody's making 10 million dollars if you ask them and you know doing x y and z and it's like the average entrepreneur one is 80 percent of businesses fail within five years the average entrepreneur is making nothing right so we're really focusing on the one to two percent that are extremely wealthy or not maybe not even extremely wealthy just wealthy in general and, and that's the image of what people see when they're like, oh, I mean, I have to get out, I have to break out of this, you know, nine to five. And it's like, well, you're making $200,000 at your nine to five. I'd probably keep that, right? If you're, if you're um, unless you have a solid plan that's actually, you know, gonna work. But if you're making $30,000 at your nine to five and you know that you have the skill set and you're willing to take a risk to try to, you know, get more, what do you have to lose? You have $30,000 to lose. If you're making $200,000, you have $200,000 to lose. So when you're younger, and when you make less money, you can really take the risk because you really don't have much to lose when it comes to doing it. So for me, starting the business at 21 years old was vital because I have no, I have no kids. 
I have uh, no wife. If I failed, if it took me three years before I failed and, I, and I'm 24 years old when I fail, who cares? I'm starting, most 24 year olds don't, don't have anything in their life figured out. So I'm starting where everybody else at my age is starting if I took from 21 to 23 on a failed venture and I could start over again and do something else or go get a job or do whatever I have to do. So starting young is, is really key, honestly, because um, trying to, you know, when you have, I have people in my DMs that say, hey, um, you know, 32 years old, I have five kids, I, I, you know, I really want some advice. I, I don't know what advice, and this is actually a real DM that I'm discussing right now. I didn't even respond, even though I almost respond to everybody. I didn't respond because I have no positive advice to give you because at the end of the day, you made some really poor life decisions deciding to have five kids at a young age when you can't afford it. So it's like you can't go and be an entrepreneur that could take the real risk because you have people that rely on you to eat that did not choose to come into this world. So when you don't have those, those, uh, those anchors, those are positive anchors because kids are a blessing, but when you don't have those anchors that are relying on you, it's a lot easier for you to take the risk. But, you know, when you have that, it's a lot harder. I can't go tell you, hey, quit your job and go, you know, start this business that you're not guaranteed to get paid on because you have people that rely on you. So it's a lot harder. So it just depends on when you're starting and, and how much, how many people are relying on you. There was this, uh, this thing that you mentioned, kind of like not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur and like 80% of entrepreneurs fail within the first year. And uh, just kind of in our interactions leading up to this podcast, you know, we talk a lot about this book called The E-Myth Revisited. Uh, um, you know, you've given high praise to that book. Um, said it's the number one business book ever. And so would love you to break down. I know you're a big guy on delegation. So uh, just breaking down kind of like how when people, before people start their business, let's say they, they, they need to read this book and I would endorse it as well. Um, most people think that they're a small business owner and entrepreneur when really they're doing all the work themselves. Um, would love to hear you break down like kind of like how you delegate your process for doing that. And even just like if you're getting started as an entrepreneur, how can you get to that point where you hire yourself out and get to that step where you can be just the entrepreneur, the vision driver, the big, big thinker and have people in that place, that great staff that you talk for sure. about. For sure. So, so a business, right? When people say, yeah, I'm a business owner, which is what an entrepreneur is, or, or I hate when somebody says, oh, I want to be, you know, I talked to a, a group of high school kids in, in Little Rock this past Saturday. And, um, you know, we started off by, hey, stand up, introduce yourself, tell, say what you want to be when you, there was actually a basketball team, um, state championship basketball team. And, uh, you know, you cannot say MBA. If, if you do not make it to the MBA, what is it that you would want to be? And they all got up. A lot of them said real estate. One said a surgeon. I was actually very impressed with the responses. And one said entrepreneur. And I hate, I honestly, I kind of actually hate that term because what is an entrepreneur? Like people just kind of just throw it out. And anytime that I hear somebody say, I'm an entrepreneur, they have it on their thing. To me, that just means that they're like a lash tech right or you know so it's like oh I'm, I'm an entrepreneur you know you're not a business owner if we want to take away the term entrepreneur and just say business owner unless you can sell your business you are not a business owner so a, a lash tech and I'm not trying to be disrespectful any lash techs out there but a lash tech that it is a single lash tech that works in a salon suite is not a business owner because there's nothing to sell you can't sell your business for $10,000 today if you wanted to. Now, if you're a lash tech and you decide, and let's talk about delegation in this aspect, you're a lash tech and you decide, I'm gonna build an actual business and I'm not gonna be an entrepreneur, right? Then I'm getting other lash techs 
and people that I've trained up. I'm putting them in an environment. I'm collecting as many customers as I can, whether it's through marketing or whatever else I have to do. And I'm basically saying, hey, listen, don't worry about the risk of trying to build your own business. Come work with me and we'll do a commission, maybe a 70-30 split. I'll provide the space and I'll also help you. You got your own customers, but then you also, I'll also make sure that I generate as many customers as possible. I'm not gonna do any lashes at all. I'll review you doing lashes to make sure that the product is up to the standard that I have for my business and everything, all my customers, everybody else, I will delegate that all out to these lash techs. Now, when you do that, you now have a business that you can sell because you're not working in your business, you're working on your business. And something that you can sell to somebody else. I can't go buy a lash studio where the only lash tech is the owner, right? I can go buy a lash studio where the owner doesn't work in it at all and there's five other lash techs that are doing the lashes. I can go look at the books and say, this is, you know, they, they brought in a million dollars this year, $700,000 was paid out um, in, in salaries, in, in 1099 salaries, $100,000 was, uh, you know, expense for the, op, for the studio and advertising X, Y, and Z, and she cleared 20, 20%, $200,000. Okay, cool, I'll give her a 3X evaluation and I'll pay $600,000 for her business. That makes sense. Otherwise, nothing else makes sense. You're not an actual business owner. You're whatever you want to call yourself. You're a sole proprietor that does lashes. That, that's really what it is. I, I feel like something you're describing right here is the difference between the technician and the business owner. Yes. And I, I look at back at myself when I was 20 years old, dropped out of college and started my own business. No one in my family previously was an entrepreneur. I pretty much was just going out there and trying to figure it out. And I really wouldn't recommend that because starting, I had no mentors, no one really to look up to. So if someone's looking to start their own business, maybe something they're really passionate about, maybe they're looking to start that last check business, how would you recommend them to go out and actually find the right information and actually figure out how to run, run a business the right way? Um, so number one is um, reading is key. Um, so, so you just have reading in general, so they just need to read actual business books that understand how business works in general, right? Um, and then number two is find somebody who, nothing is new under the face of the, the sun, right? So find somebody who's done what you're looking to do, reach out to them. Everybody that I know that is successful literally loves helping other people. My number one passion is seeing my people and other people succeed. That's, that's like the biggest flex to me. Like I, I personally, if somebody gives me a compliment to my face, um, I'm very awkward and weird about it. But you know, when you hear from somebody else and they're like, oh man, this person was talking you up and they just said how much you really helped them and blessed them with, you know, X, Y, and Z and, and they're here because of, you know, the knowledge and the effort and the time that you've given them, that nothing feels better in the world to me than that, right? So, and I know a ton of people who feel the same exact way. So it's just reaching out and saying, hey, listen, you're an inspiration, you're doing exactly what I want to do and um, I would love for you to mentor me and, and show me, you know, kind of some of the pitfalls that I can avoid to get to where you are, if you wouldn't mind. Obviously, do not reach out to somebody who is in your market, and you're basically, I've had people do that before, it's like, oh, I wanna open a tanning salon in Denver. Well, we have 10 locations in Denver. I'm obviously not gonna help you <laughs> learn how to become my competitor, right? So, but if you say, hey, listen, like, I would love to, um, you know, open a franchise 
and I want to franchise, um, you know, content creation, uh, something very similar to School of Hard Knocks, but in a different, you know, industry outside of business content. And, and you guys came to me and you said that, then I would say, yeah, cool. Like, how can I help? What can I do? Um, how can I be a resource? You know, what pitfalls did you see when you were starting your franchise X, Y, and Z? And those are things and questions that, you know, anybody uh, in my position would be happy to, to kind of help provide. I kind of wanted to go back to when you were first starting Glow Tanning, right? A business that you've now grown as a franchise to over 75 locations that's quickly expanding to well over 100 and, and who knows like where we'll be, you know, five years from now. But Over 250. Over 250, yeah. right? that's incredible. Um, but I wanted to ask he's, you like- he, He's got the goals already set out, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, year two of the five year plan. I love it, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, if you were to go back to when you were starting that business, what would you say is the number one thing that you would do differently? So like after all the years, all the grind that you really put into that business, you know, if you could go back and have a conversation with yourself when you're initially starting that business, what's, what's the biggest thing that you wish you really would have known? It's two different questions. What I wish I would have known and what I would do differently are two different questions, right? So let's go with what I would do differently first and then what I, what I wish I would have known. Um, what I would do differently is nothing. Um, and the reason why is because every single, and this is just life in general about how I feel about it, is every single experience, whether negative or positive, has led me to where I'm at. I believe in like fate, um, you know, and, and and so like if I take away one experience, that means I didn't learn. So even when I fail at something or something negative happens, there's, there's a positive um, lesson that's learned from that negative experience. So like if I take that away, then I no longer have that positive experience or that positive lesson that I learned. So it's like, okay, what's more valuable is taking this away and never knowing this or experience this or just like taking that experience away in general. So like for me, it's like I have zero regret. Like there's things that I would not do again because I like I made the mistake. I would not do it again. But the only reason why I know that I, I would not do that again is because I actually made that mistake, right? So zero, So zero things that I would like you know, do differently in terms of what I wish I knew. I think understanding how easy it actually is in terms of like, just really like believing and setting actually probably bigger goals. Um, I now have like pretty massive goals. Um, but like I said earlier um, in the pod is like, you know, did I think that I would make what I'm making now? Did I think I would be where I am right now? The answer is absolutely not. You know, if you would have told me 10 years ago, this is where you would be, this is how much money you'd be making, it would be something that just came off as completely unrealistic to myself. But I don't make 10-year goals. I make one, three, and five-year goals. So I've achieved every single one of the goals that I've set. So it's kind of like just making, um, you want to make goals that are, are that make sense that you can visualize and you can see. Um, I don't wanna say realistic because there's no such thing as a realistic goal. You just need to make a goal that is actually viable, that you can see. If you can visualize it and you put the work in, it will happen. So there's things that I can't visualize. Like if I said, oh, I wanna be the president, I can't visualize that. I don't see me, you know, I'm sweatpant millionaire, I'm not, you know, uh, Mr. Suits, <laughs> you know, like I also on top of that, just that's just not something that I can visualize for myself. So like if I actually thought that I could visualize, it's the same thing. Like let's even bring up, regardless of somebody likes Obama, doesn't like Obama, it's like Obama knew probably in high school that he wanted to be president. So every single president actually, outside of probably Trump, visualized in their head from 
literally high school that they were going to be president. They were class president. They went to college. They tried to be their college president. They went to law school. They went to Ivy League law schools. And it's literally the same pattern for every single one of them. So they literally visualize Obama, who had an absentee father, grew up in Hawaii, to a single mom, is Kenyan, uh, Kenyan-American, uh, is Kenyan, and literally visualize in his head, like, I'm going to be president one day when no one like him with his background or anything has ever been president. Like that took manifestation, that took visualization, he put the work in to actually get there. So I'm just saying it's the most far-fetched idea. And if he was 15 years old and told somebody, hey, I'm gonna be president one day, they would literally say you're crazy, right? So like literally anything's possible if you could visualize it. And, and he believed it, he visualized it, so, and he, he saw it go through. Yeah, you can tell there's a lot of like influence there. And, and I, I also want to get into like for your manifesting and goal setting, are there any activities that you do that people out there that m they might think, oh, you know, whether it's like meditation or just like, you know, something that like you take a break, like you go on vacation for a week, you know, you're always working, but um, being able to just like think about like where you want to be, vision setting, like what, what activities you do pretty much to, you know, counter that manifestation, those things that are going to actually help you achieve those goals. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so honestly, like naturally, like I just space out. So like, we'll just, you know, let's just say I'm, you know, at home laying down and my, I, I go to sleep at probably honestly, probably 1am. I'm up at about 7am. So, um, between like 11, uh, probably start, probably start finishing off my, my emails at like 10 PM till maybe 1130 or something like that. And then 1130, I'll put the TV on, catch up on little news, sports center, um, you know, whatever it is. And then maybe go lay down around midnight. And for about an hour, I'm just kind of like sitting there trying to sleep, but at the same time, scrolling through, you know, Instagram, Facebook and daydreaming. And then even I'll, I'll, throughout the day, just in general, you know, I might be in the back of the van or something and just kind of just see a vision of like, okay, cool. Like, you know, I'm gonna, whatever it is that I'm, I'm trying to do, like visualize, like I'm building these 12, these 12 townhomes in Tampa and I'll kind of like just visualize, like just kind of close my eyes and just visualize the actual, like me pulling up to the townhomes, seeing it being in awe being proud of the project and something that I thought that I would never be able to do and actually seeing it, seeing it, you know, come to fruition. Um, that's, that's, that's one thing, but honestly, the most important thing and thing that I do all the time, I make to-do lists and I, I make, um, I, I write down my goals and I also share, so I have an iPhone. I don't know if Androids can do this, but in your notes, you can share your notes with multiple people that can always see when you update it or you do anything. So I put my goals. So like my goals for 2023, I have my goals for 2023 and I have it shared um, with some of my best friends, um, you know, my brother and, you know, uh, some of my friends and I have, I have my goals shared, me and my business partner. Um, at the beginning of every single year, we send our uh, business goals as well, which my business goals and my personal goals are two separate ones. And I just kind of like make sure, and the reason why it's so important to share them is to hold yourself accountable. Because if we, for me and my business partner, the reason why we do that is to hold ourselves um, accountable to like, hey, we're not doing X, Y, and Z. We need to finish off what we decided that we're gonna do. So we do this thing. Um, it's called a, it's part of an EOS system, which is, which EOS is like um, a system of like organizing or doing or goal setting. And they go by rocks. So there's like four rocks. So every rock is basically like a quarter. So the first quarter of the year is rock one, rock two, rock three, rock four. And so we do this, um, this 
kind of a, a project or assignment that they have called align your goals and we do the align your goals every single year for the business and it's like eight or nine questions and we kind of go through the questions and it has you know one five and ten year goals in there and and we really kind of focus on the one year goal um, but we do list out the the five and, and ten year goals and and kind of like just make sure to hold ourselves to what we said we're going to do. When you initially started this business, where did the uh, the initial inspiration come from? So, you know, you kind of started the business, you've, you've grown immensely, but how did you originally get the idea to kind of go to the market with this product and service? Honestly, man, it's, it, I, I get asked all the time, like, hey, what made you go into tanning? And to be perfectly honest, it literally was so random. I'm extremely impulsive. Um, so I just like had a space. I absolutely had this idea in my head that hey I had a supplement store on the north side of Fayetteville next to the like right across the street from the mall and the university is on the south side of Fayetteville so me as a 21 year old you know student I basically I mean I just you know basically finished my senior year of college um, I'm 21 and I the people that I know the demographic that I know are the students so I'm like, yeah, the store's cool and whatever, but the students don't go from the south side to the north side of Fayetteville. They all stay on the south side. And then even if you're going, half the students from uh, the University of Arkansas are from Dallas. So like if you're going back to Dallas, you just go south. So they never even make it to the north side unless they're going to the mall every once in a while. So I was like, I have to get a store, a second location on the south side. When I went to go and get that location, there was only one location available, it was 2,700 square feet. And a supplement store really only needs like 500 to 1,000 square feet. So I was like, okay, what am I gonna do in this extra space? At first, I was a personal trainer as well. So at first I was like, oh, I'll do a fitness studio. And then I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm trying to you know, get away from working in my business. Um, and, and so I was like, ah, well, maybe any person who cares about you know, how they look, they also care, or care, like cares about their fitness, also cares about how they look. And Fave was like 97% white. So I was like, okay, well, tanning and and uh, a lot of the girls that I knew um, they were from Dallas and they said how the tanning in Fayetteville sucked and tanning in Dallas was way better so I said hey maybe this is a market so first thing I did when I thought about it I was like well let me you know drive down to my competitor and I went in there um, or not my it wasn't my competitor at the time but the only other salon that was in town or those couple of them but I went to one that was in town and I uh, pulled up and I asked if the lady was the owner and she said she was a co-owner of the business. And I walked in there just like, kind of like a, a young, naive kid. I just walked in there, I said, oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm thinking about opening one. Like, how, how well does it do? Is it a good business? And she was like, yeah, it's a good business. But I think she was so shocked that I even like, went in there and asked that question, which is a very dumb question <laughs> and thing to go up and ask somebody that you're about to become their competitor, right? Um, but I literally didn't think anything of it. I didn't have much uh, true business sense when it came to that at that time. So the lack of realization, but she said it was a good business. I was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'm, I wanna make the nicest, because tanning salons in Fayetteville and tanning salons really everywhere for the most part are very, at, at that time, this was 2009, very much like theme-like, you know, the palm trees in the lobby and the high school girls with the Nike shorts behind the counter and the big t-shirts doing their homework. And that was kind of the vibe. And I was like, I wanted to make a extremely nice, almost like a hotel type vibe. Um, because I knew that a lot of the girls that went to Arkansas had money, were rich from Texas, super bougie, 
parent, they have daddy's credit card. So make something nice that they would enjoy going to and also make it convenient for them because all the salons were more towards the north side and, and the, the locals and the money. And I wanted to gear more towards the students. Um, so I opened it and it was a, it was a hit. What point did you know that you were going to be able to turn it into eventually two, five, ten, twenty? Like, how did you know? What was that first telling sign that you were going to be able to turn it into multiple stores? Man, honestly, it took um, it took it took five years. No, four. It took four years. So, at the time, uh, the tanning just did not do like it. It did well enough to make a very little amount of money, like maybe forty thousand dollars profit a year. Um, very much mom and pop ish. Um, between me and my brother, we had five different businesses. So we had, uh, you know, a laser bit, laser hair removal, tattoo removal business. We had a marketing agency that did websites and design. Um, we had a uh, car service, like a limo, limo service, a chauffeur service. And we also had the supplement store and then Glow. So we have five different businesses. So at the time, it's like, okay, you could be a slave to many, a master of none. Right, so I want to sell two to three of the businesses, and and let's um, you know let's kind of focus on on one or two things, and you know I wanted to sell, I was actually selling the tanning salon, so I went to um, a competitor that was a couple towns up, and dropped off the business card and said, hey, I'll sell the salon to you, give me a call. He never called me. One of my tanning mentors um, named Jared Devaney, he, uh, you know, gave me a call because I, I called or I gave, called him and said, hey, listen, I'm trying to sell the salon. And he knows everybody in the industry, kind of like a godfather, you know, in this and um, said, hey, can you help me kind of sell the salon? He's like, hey, before you do anything, let me link you with this guy. He links me with this guy. The guy ends up becoming my mentor. And he told me, he said, hey, listen, just trust me. Do not sell the salon. Give it a year. I'll kind of give you a little bit of a playbook to um, to to help it be successful. After talking to him, me and my brother both talked to him. After talking to him, I you know I truly was fully invested in Glow, and uh, my brother was not. He he didn't really believe in it. He's the one who started the marketing agency. He started the laser hair removal. I started Mr. O's and I started Glow, um, but we owned everything together. So we decided we'll sell the limo service, which we did. Um, and uh, and we kind of, because we had a difference of opinion on how we should go, we kind of got divorced. And um, so he took the two businesses he started, I took the two that I started, and I went all in with Glow. Um, I actually took out more debt uh, in 2014 than the amount of revenue that Glow made. Um, I'm not even sure how I was able to get the loans, but I did. and. Bought all the equipment that he told me to do. Changed the pricing structure to go more membership-based than, you know, single sessions and packages, and did that. And the store did 200% better, 300% better than it did the previous year. And then that was the first time I was like, oh shit, okay, we got something here. And and the next year, um, probably within three to four months, I was already looking for a new location, signed a lease, whatever. So it really took about five years before and and really it was more lack of focus and that's the reason why you know uh, when we first met and you asked me about diversification i'm like hey focus on one thing because if i would have focused on one thing you know we, who knows how much sooner i would have gotten to that realization yeah very cool and i i know that a big thing that you are really big on is um being able to delegate mm -hmm. delegation is like a, a point that i know that 
you drive home is the biggest point in our first interview that we did together and so i think robert green he talks a lot about in the book the laws of human nature about uh howard hughes who like he he breaks down this thing called the law of narcissism and this howard hughes he was an aviator slash entrepreneur like in you know in the 1900s pretty much he was trying to control everything. He, he would micromanage everything that he did and every company that he started ultimately ended up failing because he thought that he could do the job better than everybody else. Uh, how have you been able to build systems that glow and build a great team around you, uh, whether that's finding great people or just having great systems and being able to bring them into that business and ultimately be able to scale glow up to where it is today? For sure. So first um, to speak on, you know, one is, I mean, as I know just from talking to you off camera and everything else, super well read. Um, and I think with the Robert Greene um, uh, analogy or really story um, in that book, which I've read as well, is my big thing. And, you know, if you like you go on my Instagram, one of the first thing I have pinned is my um, my seven uh, keys to success. And and one of them is no ego. And another one is to delegate. That's two of the seven. And no ego is huge. So. At some point in business, obviously, I, I had an ego. I loved the attention and, and being the man and, you know, people knowing that I'm the owner and all that stuff. Um, I would probably say that, you know, it's probably been eight years, eight years now, or maybe maybe closer to six. But, but you know, six to eight years that I literally have, like, I do not care. I don't want anybody to know I'm the owner. If I go into the stores, my staff know, you know, hey, do never point out that I'm the owner. I walk in always dressed extremely down, you know, $6, t $6 Eddie Bauer t-shirt from Sam's Club and probably some uh, some sweatpants and, and some Gucci slides or something, dirty Gucci slides. Like that's my uniform, right? So, so it's like, I don't want anybody knowing I'm the owner. I walk in, um, you know, I'm no better than anybody else that's there. And even for my team, my corporate team that that I work with on a daily basis, because um, I really don't go to the stores, you know, much at all. They know, like, I don't think that I know anything, so I don't think I'm smarter than anyone. I just kind of, uh, I'm able to. I, I really truly believe in trusting the experts. So when I bring somebody in, it's like, okay, we brought you in to be an expert at X. I need you to be an expert at X, and if you can't um, get to where you are better than me at the bare minimum, that's and I don't think I'm that great at a lot of things, then you got to go, because that's why we brought you in. We brought you in to make my job easier. Um, you know, we're not we're not. Uh, I call them coworkers because I don't call my my the people that work for me. You know, my staff or you know anything else like that. And I hate when they say, "Oh, our owner." I'm I'm not a slave master, right? So, you know, my coworkers, um, they know it's like your job is to make my job easier. And the only way you can make my job easier is if you are proficient and almost um, uh, excellent at whatever that one singular tax task is that you are there to do. When you get to where you have a bigger business and obviously we're getting into the um, for us, we're getting close to like, you know, being a, a 10 figure business. When you get to that level. I want for every single person to have a singular task. I don't want for some one person to carry five hats because when you have one person carrying five hats, if you lose that one person, then you're really, you're, you're for all intent and purposes, you're fucked, right? So it's like if every single person has one task that they are supposed to do, and if I don't have somebody that I can give 
like I can't afford. So we just hired yesterday, we hired a photographer and a graphic designer full time, you know, on staff. But prior to having a graphic designer and photographer full time on staff, we just delegated that out to a company. So we had a company that we hire and they handle all of our graphic design and um, we have a photographer that we hire that hands all our photography, right? So anything that I can't that I can't do that with where I can hire somebody full time for a singular task, then I will hire a company because it's not my responsibility to figure out how to get that done. If they if the company loses their photographer, it's their responsibility to go get a photographer that's equal in skill compared to me having to figure out, oh, well, I have a, crap, a photographer, a graphic designer, a social media, um, you know, content creator, um, the, our AdWords person, and our our Facebook and social media um, ad spend person is all one person. Now, which that's not the case for us. We have four different people for everything, I just, for those five different things that I named. But if they were one person, that person was to either quit or God forbid, got into a car accident or something happened to where they can no longer do function in the position that they're in, you just, now you're screwed. Now you have to figure out all those different things. So to me, it's like I, I focus on giving people a singular task and I want you to be great at that one thing that you do. You know, one of you guys uh, does the filming, one of you guys does the interview questions, one of you guys does the editing. If one person did all three of those things, right? And that person decides, you know what? I don't like you guys anymore. Channel's gone, right? So you have to you have to be able to delegate. You have to be able to delegate and make sure that you have people that are focused on single individual tasks that you need for them. And if you can't afford to have people who are focused on single individual tasks, then you hire out like an agency or something like that that can handle those things. So that if if that person if the person who's handling your account leaves, it's their responsibility to find somebody else. There's no interruption in your business from doing that. So you, know, you talk about delegating, bringing the right people in. And you know, when you were first kind of starting Glow, you mentioned someone, Tyler, was like one of your original business partners. Um, but you know, you, you're all the time, in order, you, you can create a six-figure business by yourself, but really to get to that seven, you know, let alone eight-figure mark, right? To create a million-dollar business, and let alone a multi-million uh, dollar you, business. You, you, can't, you can't create a six-figure business by yourself. That's not a business. It's kind of like what we talked about earlier, right? You're a sole proprietor that makes six figures. Right, you're you're a carpenter that 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 does cabinets, and you made a hundred thousand dollars or four hundred thousand dollars making cabinets. Is that a business? Can they sell that business? Without you making the cabinets, what is the business to sell? Are you selling me your leftover wood? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. That's not a business, right? right? So a business, a business is is if you're not, in my opinion, if you're not. Um, a sole proprietor is not is not really a business, but you, if somebody who has who has uh, a team who doesn't have a team is not a business because there's nothing to sell, right? If you can't sell your business, then you don't have a business. Anyways, so, continue. so you're you're building that team though. What are those initial things that you look for in your business partners that tell, like somebody wants to work with you? What are the things that they must have adapted to either their mindset, their skill set that you look for in everybody uh, that allows them to work? Yeah. With you? So so our core values, which is the core values that I have for anybody that I work with, including my co coworkers. So there's three things, right? Integrity, doing the right thing when no one's looking. Um, if I have to constantly turn my back, look behind my back, and see. Oh, is this person about to stab me in the back? Are they stealing my money? Oh, who's you know what they're doing with the books and X, Y, and Z? Then I can't I can't work with you, period. Right? Number two, 
are you coachable? That's massive, right? Because if you have a massive ego where you think that you know everything and no one can help you and your shit doesn't stink and, and you know, somebody's trying to say, hey, listen, like, we should do this this way because it's better X, Y, and Z, and you, you can't be coached, then there's, there's no way we could work together because you're not looking to improve, right? And then, and then number three is a hard worker. And I always say, no matter how good you are at your job, like if you, if you work for us and say you're a terrible, let's just say you're at the bottom of the totem pole within Glow, which is gonna be uh, you know, a sales consultant, right? And I love all my sales consultants because without you guys, there would be no Glow. But our sales consultants, and you're terrible at sales. You don't meet our goals and our minimum standards, our monthly metrics, whatever. If you have those three things, you have integrity, you're coachable and you work hard, I promise you, I've never seen someone who has those three things and we were not able to make good. Because all we have to do is just coach you and you're gonna listen and you're gonna work hard at it, right? That's it. So, so like for us, if you have those three things, you, that's all I need. I don't even need anybody who's, anybody who, um, who you know, hits my line, like, hey, let's link, let's do this together, X, Y, and Z, whatever. If you have those three things, I don't care how good you are at anything, we could figure something out on a way to make money. Because because if you're coachable, then that means that hey, we can we can you can adapt and learn whatever skill set you need to be successful in whatever field it is that we decide is going to be the best field, you know that we can do business in. And then if you're going to work hard and you bust your ass and you're going to work hard, then obviously it's going to be successful, right? And then if you have integrity, so I can trust that you know hey, I'm putting my money here, and I know that you know, this person is going to do their, their, they're going to be honest and I don't have to, you know, have 18 lawyers, um, figuring everything out to make sure to, to, you know, try to, uh, clean everything up or, 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 you know, look after me or whatever. Um, those are the three things. So those three core values in an employee for us, that's the only things that we look for. When you got connected to that first mentor who really opened you, your eyes to that new playbook, what were some of those plays and, and things that he kind of taught you in, uh, things that he kind of told you to put in place that allowed you to scale and become more profitable as a business. Yeah, so his name is Mike Bloor, um, and uh, he has salons out in California. And what he did was he really kind of emphasized to me um, the membership model. And like I said, in the last five years, every single business has gone to membership model. Doesn't matter what you're doing or whatever. If you want to go to a car wash, they want you to buy membership, right? So, and because in memberships, whether it's the gym, glow, car wash, anything, they know that 50% of people either use it once a month or don't use it at all. But when you're selling the membership, you're selling it on multiple uses in a month, right? So, and then only 3% of the people actually abuse it. So you're losing money on 3%, you're getting free money on 50%. And then you have that 47% in the middle where, you know, let's just say you're, you're breaking even or you're making a little bit of money on. So membership model is key for anything and everything that you do. Um, so, so him really kind of, uh, you know, m emphasizing how important memberships were, I think was massive. And then also value. Um, so, so what he did was we, when we added spa services, um, which we, you know, we're one of the, the innovators in that, um, him, us, and an, another uh, franchise um, that's actually been dwindling. You know, sometimes being first to market isn't always best, right? So, um, 
we were one of the innovators with spa services and when we brought spa services everybody else when they add a service they always want to charge more so hey you know let's just say within this office there's a basketball hoop there's a ping pong table and let's just say this was uh rented out um suites every single one of these this is a this is we work or something right when we work uh comes in and i own this we work franchise and i'm running out offices so i'm going to invest five thousand dollars and put you know a kitchen in there i'm going to put the ping pong table the basketball hoop in and i'm like oh why would if i, if I do that i could up everybody's rent fifty dollars a month i'm going to make my investment back plus x right that's how people think about it the way i think about it and this is because of him it's just a value add just do it and don't charge an extra dollar because it's just you're you're giving somebody so much value that they're like oh my God, like I get all of this just for this. And so every single time when somebody comes in to our door and we give them the price, they're like, are you serious? It's literally just this price? And we're like, yeah. You know, it's like, there's no catch to it. There's no nothing, there's no added fees, anything. It's literally just this price. So our, the value that we provide is so massive. So value add and memberships were the two things that he really emphasized. And that's what kind of like, you know, changed the game. You know, in our prior interview, you talked about how a big thing that you're honing in on is, is really vertically integrating your business, right? And when you were building Glow, you, you realized that a lot, you were spending uh, money on HVAC and electricity and, and paying all the, the real estate fees to the brokerages. And now you've realized that you can actually expand your business and start kind of acquiring, buying other companies so that way you're not having to give all these excess fees to people. So for someone who's built a business, they found success, they have a profitable business, how do you recommend them go about expanding their business, vertically integrating into other avenues to where they can actually build rather than just one business, but actually a conglomerate across different industries? For sure. So the, the way you look at it, right, and and I've actually never thought about it, this is just kind of off the dome, um, but this is what we're doing, and, and the person who's done this really well is actually like Amazon has done this really well. Um, so for instance, Amazon has probably the largest at this point um, servers and data center. What Amazon probably realized was, hey, listen, we're paying another company to host our data as an online company. And we're, they're probably paying, I don't know, 20, 30 million dollars a year. Maybe right now they would probably, the size of Amazon, they're probably paying a half a billion dollars a year to do this. So they said, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to go buy a company and host our own serving, right? And then once we figure that out, we're now going to offer it to everybody else. So now they literally are the number one server host in the country, probably in the world, right? From because they just said, we're spending all this money over here. We already have a built-in market. So we might as well just go ahead and get it ourselves, right? And then that's every single thing. So for us, the way I look at it is I say, okay, if we're spending, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm flipping, I'm flipping homes on the side. Um, you know, I'm not really doing much of anything, but I'm letting my money work for me and have a couple friends that, you know, flip, flip homes uh, for me and that I pay them a GC fee. Um, I buy a lot of uh, commercial buildings. I also, uh, negotiate every single lease for every single franchisee nationwide. So at any point in time, I'm negotiating, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 leases at one time between uh, me and my director of franchise at Stanton. 
So it's like on every single one of those leases, we just uh, signed a new lease in Georgia. We signed uh, you know, a couple leases here in Dallas. On say the lease that we just signed in Dallas, the real estate commission that my realtor um, is gonna make off of that is $20,000. And she literally did nothing. Um, for that location in particular, I went and drove the area and found the space. Uh, she gets the LOI, she puts it on a sheet of paper and have, we have a standard LOI, Glow LOI that we use. We submitted the LOI, they come back, they redline the LOI. She forwards the email to us to review. We respond back and say, no, change X, Y, and Z. She changes X, Y, and Z. The landlord looks at it and says, okay, I agree. Sends us the lease. We have an in-house attorney. We forward the lease to the in-house attorney. He reviews the lease. We agree on the lease. Make a couple changes. We agree on the lease. Send it back. DocuSign it. Boom. She gets a $20,000 check. She forwarded two emails. So... And uh, Stephanie, love you, you're good people, but at the end of the day, why would we not do that for ourselves, right? So instead, I will create my own real estate brokerage, and then I will have agents that work for me. I have deals to feed them. So now I can go and have an agent, we split a 50-50 split, on any deal that I bring you, right? If they bring a deal, the way typical brokerages work is that you get the brokerage gets 20%, the agent keeps 80%, right? Any deal that you bring for yourself, you keep 80%. Any deal that I bring you, you keep 50%. So every single glow deal that comes across because I'm the one who negotiates it, I can literally feed it to my own brokerage and I will make 50% of the real estate commissions. This month alone in real estate commissions, we probably have uh, somewhere 200, $300,000 in real estate commissions that, that landlords are gonna to pay to our realtors that represent us. And on top of that, I can also hire one or two agents that because they have experience negotiating for GLOW, it actually makes my job easier because now I can delegate a lot of the tasks that I have to do in negotiating it because they have, you know, when I walk them through five, 10, 15 negotiations, I no longer have to do the walkthrough with them because they understand, hey, he's never going for that. So there's no reason for us to even send that back. This is the typical deal that we go with and it makes my job easier. So not only does it make my job easier, I'm able to delegate my responsibility. I'm also able to make money on something that other people are making money on um, off of you know our business. On top of that, I, I could still make 20% of whatever else they bring in outside of the deals that I feed them. So it just makes sense. So that's just vertically integrating. So you have the Amazon way of vertically integrating, which is the same exact thing that I'm doing. And then you, they're just doing it on a way higher level. And then you have, you know, what I'm uh, working on doing as well. And you brought up a real estate brokerage, right? And so, you know, a lot of the people that we interview on our channel, and then also just from talking with you, real estate is obviously a great way that people can take their money, have their money work for them, either real estate or stocks or things like that. But uh, we can primarily just talk about real estate. You know, most people, whether they have a job or they're, you know, somebody that, you know, they're trying to build a business, stuff like that, uh, they get money. Uh, a lot of people have this notion that, real estate takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time and effort to be able to build a real estate empire. How are you as the CEO of Glow Tanning and the ventures that you're also starting, how have you been able to take money and be able to put it in real estate 
with you know you know you probably don't have that much time to be able to like yeah. be able to invest it and, and you know there's people that are realtors for all time yeah. uh, and, and so they're fully invested in real estate but if you have that one business driver you know you talk a lot about um, building that cash flowing business and then taking that money and putting it into real estate so we'd love to yeah. see you break that down and also like how can someone with no time or even no money be able to do that for themselves yeah number one when it comes to time you make time for what you for, for what you find important right so we can always find time if it, we find it important enough that's number one Number two is, um, you know, when it comes to, to me, real estate is not a cash flow play. It does make cash flow. Every single one of my buildings makes good money. I have buildings that make $30,000 a month and I have buildings that make $5,000 a month, right? Um, so it does, so it does, uh, it, it does produce cash flow, but it's not, for me, it's not realized cash flow because I'm using that money to pay down debt. So I, I've never taken a dollar from real estate and spent a dollar from real estate. I didn't buy a watch because of real estate. I I buy my cars and my watches and and live my lifestyle and invest my money from Glow. So so I have a cash flowing business that makes a ton of cash. I take that money and then I, I live on it and I reinvest it. I probably reinvest about 90% of what I make. And then the other 10% is what I live on, um, you know, and, and do everything else. So um, I would say the biggest thing is like cash is king. So you want to be able to know how to um, how to properly use debt, right? Um, so <clears throat> knowing how to properly use debt, creative financing is huge. Uh, when you have money, uh, things actually become easier. It's kind of really weird, but things become easier and you actually have to use less money, right? Um, so, so it's just like, just creative financing and doing things like that to where it actually makes sense. And also how motivated is the person or the seller? So I find uh, locations and areas where maybe something's been sitting for a while. Maybe I have to slightly overpay for something. Like they have it listed, like say a building is, is worth $4 million. They have it listed at 4.5 million. Um, everybody is coming in at 3.8 or 4 million or 4.1. And I go to the owner and I say, hey, listen, I'm willing to buy this building. I'll give you 4.3 million for it, but I want you to hold a second mortgage, you know, for $800,000. So at close, you're going to get 3.5 million. And over the next, you know, three years, you're, I'm going to amortize the, uh, the second mortgage over 20 years. We'll do a three year balloon, right? So at, let's say interest rates right now are 8%, but I'll give them an offer at like say 4%, right? So I'm making very small payments, or you can even do interest-only payments. Interest-only payments at, at four or five percent for three years. After the three years, now it, it's a balloon payment of the eight hundred thousand. Well, in three years, right? You've you've done everything you want to do to the building. You've added, you know, new tenants. You've upped the rents. If you own a business, you've added your own business in there. X, Y, and Z, whatever. Now I go back to the bank in three years. I refinance the deal, and I refinance in the eight hundred thousand dollars that I owe them. So I just got that building for $0 down. The building's cash flowing and paying for the debt. Because I do not care about making a dollar off of the building, right? Then that's how I would do my deal because I'm doing it as a wealth play. So that building's gonna appreciate in value. And then over time, that building is going to decrease in debt, right? So a, a, a commercial building is typically financed on a 20 year deal, 15 to 20 year deal. So in 20 years, that building's paid off. I'm in my mid-30s now. When I'm in my mid-50s, I have an asset that I bought for you know, $4.3 million that's now worth 
eight to ten million dollars if we go with the typical rate of of inflation on real estate you know a commercial real estate over the last 20 years now it's worth 10 million dollars i owe zero dollars on it even though i've made you know not much from the investment through the life of having the building but i have a 10 million dollar asset that i literally paid that i literally have taken zero dollars out of my pocket that's a pretty good play when you first started out glow you were doing a bunch of different businesses you had the marketing agency, you had Glow, you did the chauffeur, and then you decided to part ways with those different things and you decided to focus all in pretty much on Glow. At what point do you feel like it's okay for entrepreneurs to diversify their income streams and start building businesses alongside their main source of income? That's an amazing question. So I need to start, um, you know how like, you know how celebrities uh, get the prep questions beforehand? And you start, I'm not a celebrity, but I need to, I need to give our prep questions because that was a, that's an amazing question. So, um, so just off the top of the dome, I'll just I'll say this. Um, really, when you're making enough money, where you can invest 50% of what you make in something else, that you're not having to, um, you know, put any money back in the business, uh, you're able to live the lifestyle that you want to live. A comfortable, not the lifestyle you want to live, because you obviously you 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 always aspire to have more and to do more in X, Y, and Z. But you're able to live a comfortable lifestyle, and you're able to pay all of your bills, put back for savings and retirement and everything else. And you can take 50% of whatever you have, and invest it. Then you can start to diversify. Until you get to that point, you know people who say, "Oh, I have a successful business. It makes you know $300,000 a year profit." but you're spending $250,000 to live and you have $50,000 left over, then that business is not successful enough for your lifestyle, right? So if you're making, if you have a business and you spend $250,000 a year to live and invest in X, Y, and Z, um, and so you're making $500,000 profit, so you have $250,000 left over to invest, at that point you can start to diversify, um, you know, with your money. And there's a guy named Neil Patel, who's famous in like the SEO and marketing space, and he was giving someone a piece of advice on like, I feel like I've hit a ceiling on where I'm currently at. How can I continue to expand and, and really do more? And pretty much what he said is that a lot of people make the mistake of instead of focusing really, like you have a skill, like let's say us is content creation, right? Is instead of us trying to go ahead and build, you know, a roofing and construction company, you should just double down on another form of media. And would you say that a lot of people make the mistake of instead of really just doubling down and building another avenue of what they're already good at, that, um, sorry, I just got a, that really that people should just double down on what they're good at and build another avenue of their existing business? Or do you think people should really expand if maybe they have a calling or feel Yeah, so, so, so that's so literally what you asked, the same thing that we just talked about a little bit ago, which is vertical integration. So let's just speak about you guys, right, within your business. Like the best thing is you guys are content creators, but you guys are content creators in one single space, business, right? If you guys were just creating content and shock jock stuff, business, sports, you know, sports betting, uh, current events, whatever, it's, you wouldn't be successful. You'd be a slave to many, a master of none. So it's like you guys are, are aiming to be, you know, a conglomerate within business content creation. When you get to where you actually feel like you've achieved your goal, because at some point you guys are gonna sit back, right? And I hope I get a, a text 
you know, um, uh, telling me when this point happens, but you guys are gonna sit back and you guys are gonna be like, damn, man, this was a dream, we did it. Like, like, and not just we did it, like the realization, like you guys obviously have the realization, like, hey, things are starting to click, things are going well. But the we did it as in something that, you know, maybe it's each of you guys taking a distribution out of the company for, a, you know, half a million dollars to go put down, on a, you know, on a house each, right? Um, and going and buying a car, um, and you guys are doing that together, and you guys are like, damn, man, like who would have thought that, you know, what we started could have been this, right? So, you know, when you guys uh, come to that realization, it's, it's because of the fact that you guys focus on one singular thing, and at that point, now you can take your, your systems, your processes, your team, and now you can diversify into another form of media, right? That can be the same exact thing as what you do now, but in a different direction other than business. So, and that might be even within business, but a subset of business. So like now it's like, you know, School of Hard Knocks real estate, right? Where it's strictly about real estate, right? Or just like the same way Barstool has Barstool and then now they have Barstool gambling, you know? So it's like, literally focused on what you're doing because it's the, the biggest thing and the reason why it's important to stay within the same kind of industry or niche is because of the amount of work and time and effort, and you guys will appreciate this, the amount of work and time and effort it takes to build the processes and the systems. So why do you wanna go and build that for something else that you know nothing about? You can do it because you've done it once before, but now you have to figure out, okay, I'm going to uh, create the you know number one uh, you know, tire distribution center in Texas. Now you got to learn everything about tires. You got to learn everything about the distribution. You got to learn everything about trucking. You got to learn everything about, you know, uh, what's Bridgestone versus X, Y, and Z, what cars do what, this is that. It's like, why do all that? Why not just take, you already built all the systems. You already built all the processes. You already built, you know, a whole team. So like when we did our first interview, I talked about delegation. I literally said, I take my team and use my team to help get everything set up. So it has to be something that I can use my team, my current team, and utilize my current team. My, my photographer and uh, my, I have you know, a videographer on staff, I have a photographer on staff, I have a graphic designer on staff. If I'm doing a real estate project, I'm gonna utilize those same people to do my real estate project, even though they're for GLOW, right? Because I have a team of people that I can literally utilize for whatever I need to utilize in any other projects that I'm doing. So I have a team of people and I need to utilize my team to do whatever else it is that I need to do. And that's for you guys that would be vertically integrating into another space outside of business. Absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a question that I think, you know, I've heard, you know, many people talk about on podcasts with their guests. And I think it, it's the tombstone question, right? It's a, you know, how do you want to be remembered? So that's a, that's a great question. It's a very uh, dark question as well. <laughs> so... Um, I think that uh, the biggest thing and, and something that I, I'm not sure when I told myself this, but maybe it was uh, four or five years ago. And I said that I want to make sure that any person that I come into contact with has a positive um, experience from me. That doesn't mean that like, you know, somebody does something and I'm not gonna check them and oh, that wasn't a positive experience. But any person that comes into contact with me is gonna be better off. Um, from having a relationship with me. Um, I never ask anybody for really anything at all. 
Um, not saying that, you know, I couldn't or I shouldn't, but I always try to make sure how can I add value to, to the people that I'm around. And, and also, like, anybody who knows, I, you know, I say this all the time, anybody who knows me, there's nobody who knows me who doesn't like me. And, and that's like, and it's not that I'm really concerned about trying to get people to like me, because that should be the least of anyone's concern ever, right? But it's just saying that, you know, being a genuine person, being somebody who cares about other people, being someone who is not so focused on what could somebody do for me, but for me, it's like, how can I add value to someone else? That's the, literally the first thing and everything I think about. Obviously, you guys know when we talk off camera and stuff like that, it's like, you know, I'm really trying to like make sure to like pour into you guys and say, okay, you know, what are things that I can do to kind of give you guys some game to, to, to really like, you know, you guys are already doing it prior to meet me at all. So I'm not taking zero, I'm taking zero credit from your success, but I'm saying like there's things that I just know as an entrepreneur and I, you know, I'm, I'm over a decade older than you guys. How can how can I give you guys some tools and steps, some advice to to really kind of like skip some of the things that I had to learn on my own, right? Or or advice that I got from somebody else that I'm just passing along, you know, to you guys. So to me, it's one of those things where I just want that if anything was that God forbid anything was to was to happen, that people um, you know really kind of say, hey man, he was a good guy who really wanted to make sure that everybody around him was taken care of, everybody around him. Uh, you know, was was successful. Everybody around him uh, was better off from knowing him. So that's that's kind of been my philosophy, and that's just how I kind of live my life. Um, so it doesn't matter who's around me or whatever. I always want to make sure that they, that I can, if I can put them in a better situation, I try to. I never give a handout, but I try to give a hand up. So I love it. Um, I'll end with just one more question for you, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, but my final question for you, if there's any guiding principles that you would pass on to the younger generation out there that's really aspiring to become successful, you know, maybe they didn't, they didn't come from much, uh, but that they just have really high ambitions, they want to really achieve success, what are those two or three guiding principles that you would pass on to them uh, that, that work for you and that you've seen, you know, really generate success in people? Yeah, so um, I go back to my, my seven principles uh, for success. Um, so, you know, number one is gratitude. So being appreciative of what you have, even no matter how big or small what you have is. A lot of times I hear people comparing themselves to other people, looking on Instagram or you know, Facebook or TikTok or whatever and saying, oh, must be nice or I wish I had that. It's like, you know, you, uh, you can't complain you know, about something that you, that you did nothing for, right? So, so being grateful for the, for the situation, just being grateful. You know, I saw a video um, of a guy that was explaining something to this couple. He's an influencer or something. And it was actually a great analogy. He said, if I can give you guys $10 million today, but I told you that tomorrow you wouldn't wake up, would you take it? And they said, no. So obviously you living and breathing is more important than that $10 million, right? So just be grateful for what you have, for the life that you have, for what you've been blessed with, and stop always focusing on the negative. Um, number two, you know, live in the moment, but plan for the future. So focus on what's in front of you. Um, so, you know, a lot of times people always want to focus 10 years out, the X, Y, and Z, whatever. It's like, no, focus on what's in front of you, get done what's in front of you, um, whether it's good or bad. And, but also at the same time with keeping in mind, you know, what, what you have going on. Number three, learn to delegate. We've discussed that a lot, so don't have to really go too much in that. Number four, no ego. So thinking that you know everything or thinking that someone can help you, um, when you're talking to somebody and they're quick to always cut you off to, to give their opinion, that's probably somebody you do not want to be around. 
right? So it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, even people who are smarter than you and, and extremely successful, if you ever notice, they typically are listeners. They just kind of sit around and they just let people really talk and they're observing and they're listening because they just want to, you know, what can they, one is, you know, they're kind of surveying the room, but two is they're learning, you know, you can't learn when you're talking, right? So, so that's, that's, uh, that's another one. And, um, you know, I would say, I would say that that's, that's, uh, that's some of the major ones. Um, and, and major keys to success, in my opinion. Um, and, and really, you know, to emphasize back on one of the things I said, especially for younger people is, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. You know, you've heard me say that a lot uh, lately and comparison is a thief of joy. So like comparing your life to somebody else's, um, especially on Instagram or anything else, it's like, you know, uh, especially women. Women will take a hundred pictures to pick one as the best angle then they'll go on there, they'll edit it, face app, do everything else, and then post that. And then somebody else is comparing their looks or their life or whatever to this person that is giving you a 1% sna snapshot of their life. It's not even 1%. The location, the area, or whatever they're in is 1% of the time in their, their timeline of their life, right? Um, or in the month that they're in. They take a picture of, it's a highlight reel, right? So they take a picture of that. Then they took a hundred pictures of this highlight reel. Then out of the best picture that they took, they edited the best picture, that's a, a picture, a 1% picture of a highlight reel. And then they edited that picture and now you're comparing yourself to that edited 1% of a highlight reel. And, and so that's just not, it's not, you know, so you have to be focused on your own race and not focus on what everybody else is doing and comparing whatever. It's like, are you happy with where you're at? Some people are happy and, uh, you know, making $50,000 a year. And, and, and I wish, uh, and this sounds, this sounds crazy, but I wish I could, I could be content. Um, my number one problem is I have a lack of contentment um, and, and a lack of achievement. Like I, I reach a goal. It might be a goal that I set for myself in a five-year goal. I reach that goal and I'm not happy. I'm not like, I'm like, okay, cool reach the goal, and that's why a lot of times I set a purchase, something that I want, obviously I can go, just go and buy it, but I won't allow myself to buy it until I reach that certain goal. So when I reach that goal, I can now purchase X. So like the Rolls Royce was one of those goals. So when I reached that goal, I said, okay, cool. I reached that goal, now I can purchase X, right? So now every time that I look at X, I realize the, the, the achievement of that goal. But otherwise, the second that you reach the goal for any high achiever, you're just looking and saying, okay, what's the next goal? You never sit down to really kind of appreciate the, the, the fact that you achieved that goal, right? So there's a lack of contentment there. And that's why a lot of times people say, you know, money doesn't buy happiness because where's the contentment? The guy who made $40,000 or it says say $50,000 and he's the manager of Best Buy, he goes home to him, he has a smoking hot wife. He goes home, he kicks his feet up. He looks at his store's numbers. He has the, the district manager send him an email saying, God, great job, Robert. Your store is number two in the district. And he's, he's happy about that. Takes his family out to a nice steak dinner and spoils them. He goes to Disney World once a year for you know five days. And to him, he's extremely happy. And then you have the other person who, you know, literally during the downturn in 2008, was a billionaire in Germany that 
lost seven billion dollars and killed himself. The only thing is, he still had two billion. To, to him, he lost everything, right? Yeah. So everything is about perspective. So it's like, you know, how are you, how are you framing your life? Are you comparing your life to somebody else's? Or are you comparing your life to, to, you know, to, the, to what you consider what you deem to be, to be happiness? And, and what is considered happiness for you? Everybody has to figure that out for themselves. Amazing, guys. That wraps up today's episode with the School of Hard Knocks. Anya, you dropped some incredible gems and game for all the young entrepreneurs, everybody out there. Before we get off here, where can everybody find you at? Um, at sweatpants underscore millionaire on Instagram. And then I'm not sure yet, um, but we'll have a TikTok and, uh, and YouTube at some point set up. Everybody, sweatpants underscore millionaire. Be sure to give him a follow, reach out to him. And if you're tuned in, like and subscribe for some amazing content coming soon. We'll see you guys in the next one.